1901, a woman by the name of Annie Taylor climbed into a barrel so that she could ride that barrel over Niagara Falls, the first person to do so. The reason for her crazy endeavor? She was struggling to make ends meet, and she was hoping for fame and financial security. It's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage, a faith and family mortgage team that tries to improve your financial outlook without having to ship you over a 170-foot waterfall. Our mortgage team happens to be an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This advantage often allows us to get you a better rate, which can save you monthly and lifelong money through a refinance, or help you with a cash-out refinance, cashing out some of your home's equity to use for life. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. Joining us right now is author Aaron Wren. He's going to talk to us about life in the negative world, confronting challenges in an anti-Christian culture. Mm, This is a good topic, something probably many of us are thinking about on some level. And just a little bit about Aaron. He is a consultant and writer in Indianapolis. He's a senior fellow at American Reformer, a former senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute for Public Research and former partner at Accenture. He has written extensively on cities, culture, and the future of the evangelical church and men's issues. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, we're excited to have you with us. And, uh, you know, just taking a look at the title of your book, it's a bit of a downer, Aaron. So we need to really walk <laughs> through this because here's something that you state. And I'd love to just dive into this conversation with you. You say the Christians have entered a new and unprecedented era here in America. So I just want you to take a moment and, and unpack that for us. What do you mean by this negative world? And how did we get here in the first place? Well, the United States never had a state church. Uh, as in Europe. We always had a disestablished church since the time, you know, we created the federal government. And yeah, we all, we did sort of have a softly institutionalized sort of generic Protestant Christianity as our de facto national religion. You could see this in the 1950s, where half of all Americans attended church. That was the high watermark of church attendance. We had prayer and Bible reading in schools. Uh, we were adding in God, we trust to our money, uh, under God to the Pledge of Allegiance. There's a famous picture of the New York City skyline with the skyscraper windows lit up uh, with crosses for Easter. People share it on social media all the time. That was taken in 1956. But in the 1960s, I date it to around 1964, this uh, kind of uh, Protestant kind of soft institutionalization started to break up and, and collapse as Christianity went into decline in America, a period of decline that lasts to the present day. And I divide this period of decline from 1964 to the present into three phases or worlds that I call the positive, neutral, and negative world. The positive world is 64 to 94. And I want to be clear, this is a period of decline. This is when the sexual revolution is going on, for example, Roe versus Wade, et cetera. This is not a time when things are all going well for Christianity, yet it's still basically viewed positively in society. To be known as a good church-going man makes you seem like an upstanding member of society, and uh, Christian moral norms are still the basic moral norms of society. Around 1994, we had a tipping point. We entered what I call the neutral world, uh, and that lasted from 94 to 2014, where Christianity is not really seen positive anymore, but it's not really seen negatively either. 
it's just one more lifestyle choice among many in a sort of multicultural, pluralistic public square. And Christian, Christian moral values seem to have some residual effect in this area. And then around 2014, we had a second tipping point and enter what I call the negative world, where for the first time in the 400-year history of America, kind of official elite culture views Christianity negatively or at least certainly suspiciously. To be known as a Bible-believing Christian does not help you get a job at Goldman Sachs or Google. Quite the opposite, in fact. Christian moral frameworks are explicitly rejected. And in fact, in many ways, sort of Christianity is viewed as the new primary threat to this kind of new public moral order. And so this shift to the negative world has a lot of profound consequences, both for the church and society. And uh, I think we're, you know, to be honest, struggling to adapt. You just put that so succinctly, so clearly, walking us down through history um, to see this moral decline, to see this change happen. Thank you so much for that. And uh, you are hearing the voice of Aaron Wren, and uh, he's written a book called Life in the Negative World. And so how did you develop the idea of the three worlds of evangelicalism? And how does that framework describe the past 60 years of American Christianity? Yeah, well, you know, coming from a consulting background, uh, building frameworks is what I do. And, you know, I I grew up in the late 70s and and 1980s. So I remember essentially all three of these eras. And, you know, I lived through the, you know, Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell era. You know, I also lived through the sort of, uh, you know, the urban revivals and and kind of the rise of this kind of new urban church. So I saw a lot of it uh, there. I definitely... You know, pinning down exactly what where what the moment was or what all the changes were is hard. But clearly, there were a ton of changes in society in President Obama's second term in office. Uh, that's obviously sexuality was a huge one. People don't remember in 2008, California, yes, California, like the bluest state in the country, voted in a referendum to ban gay marriage in its constitution. Mm. Uh, Obama and Hillary Clinton both ran as opposed to gay marriage in 2008. Obama even cited his Christian faith. Uh, you know, by, uh, you know, 2015, we have the Obergefell decision. And by today, you know, the, the quote-unquote culture war now is, is whether or not transgender athletes can compete in girls' sports in school. Like, that is a sea change in a very short period of time. We also saw what uh, even secular uh, observers on the left, like Matthew Iglesias, have called the Great Awakening, which happened around 2014. Maybe, you know, it started a little bit back in 2012, uh, in which there was like this very, very hard left turn into sort of certain racial ideologies. Uh, Academic researchers have shown things like the use of terms like white supremacy and structural racism soared in that era. And that was before Trump, by the way. It wasn't a response to Trump. It was happening before Trump. And then NYU professor Jonathan Haidt, you know, he's observed that like 2013 is when college campuses started going crazy. And so a lot of things were happening in that era, and it certainly led to, I think, a you know, significant shift in culture in a pretty brief period of time. Uh, and I mean, I do think that, you know, the fact that Donald Trump was elected president in 2016 is something that would have been inconceivable even 10 years earlier. You picked a fantastic time to listen because right now we're speaking with Aaron Wren. His book is called Life in the Negative World, um, Confronting Challenges in an Anti-Christian Culture. Fantastic title, fantastically researched book that you have here, Aaron. And we're so glad that you're with us here on Mornings with Tom and Toppy. 
Yeah, well, thanks for having me again. It's great. This is like being in your favorite professor's class, right? Yeah, absolutely. Just taking a lot of notes. <laughs> and you suggest that the ability to successfully adapt to a state of decline is, in many ways, built into evangelicalism and might be considered its greatest strength. And yet, evangelicals have been unable to stem the decline. So what means have they tried and why didn't those methods work? Well, in a sense, evangelicalism as we know it is sort of a product of the decline of that 1950s Christianity, you know, which in the 1950s was, was a very mainline denominated or dominated. Uh, and you go into the 1970s, you know, mainline churches started to go into a big decline, and they were never really able to figure out how to pull out of that. They're sort of still fading away. And it was really in kind of in this era that people like, for example, Bill Hybels at uh, uh, Willow Creek Church in Chicago, suburban Chicago, Rick Warren at Saddleback Church, were able to create models like the seeker-sensitive movement. They were able to get people into churches. Mm. And so one of the things I, I do talk about these various strategies are you seeker-sensitive was one. We all had that started kind of in the 70s. We also had the culture war strategy where people saw that things were not going well in the culture for Christianity. They decided to mobilize politically to try to fight back, take back the country. This also started in the 70s, and I think the the very name of the leading organization of that era, Moral Majority, tells you that you're in the positive world. It may not have been true then, but it was at least a plausible claim. No one would ever call create an organization called that today because it's clear. And then in the 90s, as cities came back, like New York, we had the rise of what I call the cultural engagement model with people like Tim Keller in, uh, in New York City mm. uh, who were able to reach successfully this, this urban, um, urban environment. Now as we hit the negative world, I think part of the challenge has been that there are a lot of ministries. Basically, they're all built on s sort of models and eras uh, that were in the past. So they were built on a positive world or a neutral world basis and framework, and they worked. And you know, a lot of them were started by baby boomers. And now, you know, they're retiring or, you know, you're, you're, you're getting up there towards the end of your career, and it's hard to, to change and adapt. And so I think if you, look at, if you look at these different strategies of the past, they were typically created by kind of new entrepreneurs, if you will, uh, who were able to come in and create new ways to keep the church relevant to, you know, a new generation, a, a new kind of socioeconomic milieu. And, uh, you know, Excessive relevance can be a problem, you know, in a sense, because maybe you maybe we're too close to the culture. We've been too close to the culture. We we'll have to do a little bit less of that. But I think it's still possible. Again, I think we're going to see younger pastors who are going to be experimenting. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm hopeful. I'd like to be cautiously optimistic that we're going to see people create models that will work in the negative world, not just to sustain the life of the church, which I believe has to be a bigger emphasis today than it was in the past but also to continue to do the Great Commission, which we can never turn aside from, no matter what the circumstances are in the culture. Okay, you're hearing the voice of Aaron Wren uh, just talking about his latest book, of course, and uh, it's titled um, Life in the Negative World and then uh, Confronting the Challenges of an Anti-Christian Culture. And you had talked about maybe some of the ways that that can happen here, Aaron. And uh, you had mentioned the Great uh, Commission, making sure that that is always in the forefront for us. And one of the things that, and this is just me, just going off script a little bit here, one of the things that we lose sight of is that we are called to make disciples of all nations. We have taken that to just say we're supposed to share our faith with people. 
And it goes deeper than that. And maybe that might be Correct. something that, that might help us get through to this um, this generation that so desperately needs Christ. Instead of holding on to old models from the past, let's get back to the foundational model of building disciples for Christ. Yes. You know, um, you know uh, the guy who's the former lead pastor of... Uh, of, of my church in Chicago, who's now the president of Moody Bible Institute, actually, uh, Mark Job. Yeah, way to, to get that whenever, in there. Good job, Aaron. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Whenever, yeah, whenever you see, you know, kind of extremes of dysfunction, there's an opportunity for the light of Jesus Christ to shine ever brighter. And we definitely see, like, the statistics around young people and mental illness, around loneliness and, and detachment. There are people who are suffering about the fentanyl deaths. Mm. There are so many people who are suffering in this world and who are getting bad messages that are sending them in the wrong direction. And so one of the things that's specific to the negative world is that, you know, you, you not only have to convince people that Christianity is true, but you have to overcome the fact that it's low status, right? Mm. That you, if you want to become, you know, a Christian, you might have to take a little more of a status hit than you did in the past. Maybe if you were seen as a Bible thumper, even 30 years ago, people would have thought you were weird, but today it's even worse. But the key is you can at least get a hearing. When people are suffering, they're more willing to entertain ideas that will that will help them uh, than when they think they've got their, their act together. So I think there's tremendous opportunity out there to do ministry uh, simply because there's so much suffering in this world today, uh, despite our you know material uh, our material prosperity. Wow. And and so you're first of all, you're you're hearing the voice of Aaron Wren and the name of his book is Life in the Negative World. I I've, I'm just sitting and listening. I mean, I'm I'm just thinking my mind is going and I'm thinking about how ill equipped, just to be honest, how ill equipped we are to have complex conversations about things that we've just never seen before. I, you know, I, I don't know, just in our culture you know, children identifying as cats and dogs or, um, right. yeah, you know what I'm saying? Or just, um, right. just complete, um, ignoring of biological issues when you're, you know, giving identities out. So I, I don't know. It's just, it's hard to think like when I think about, you know, Tom saying make disciples, I'm thinking, but how do you even, how do you even get the conversations started in some of these areas? And and right. how can we develop strategies to have better conversations that are inviting, that are um, love-based, but that then bring truth into it? Yeah, you know, um, one of the people that I was really impressed with, um, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of gone a little in a different direction today. But if you go back to, say, 2018, Jordan Peterson really mm. had a gift at reaching these young men that were really struggling in life, failing to launch, having big issues, and being able to speak into their life. And, you know, people were, were flocking to him because he was saying things like, uh, you know, men and women are not the same. There are differences between genders. You know, he would, uh, he would say things that were, uh, that were true, but maybe a little politically incorrect, and that you don't even hear in church. I mean, sometimes you'll hear pastors say things like, godliness is sexy. But he would say girls are attracted to boys who win status competitions with other boys. Okay, Like, wow, that's, that's actually true. And so I think that he, he was a good example because he was firm in what he believed and he articulated truth as he saw it. But he wasn't a bomb thrower. He wasn't trying to be a provocateur. And I think we get to learn from that. How can we speak truth clearly, uh, you know, compassionately, in love, but, you know, firmly, but without being just, you know, someone who – 
builds his business off of, um, you know, being a provocateur to stir up controversy. Uh, that's something that I'm, I'm kind of trying to hone in on myself and how I conduct myself. Okay. And uh, Aaron, as we wrap up our time with you, let me just ask this. Is there any cause for hope or optimism for the church in this season? Yeah, well, um, you know, there's story. Uh, history doesn't just go in like, you know, a single line uh, forever. There's twists and turns. I mean, again, Nobody would have predicted Donald Trump was president two years before it happened. Nobody was thinking there was going to be a pandemic or an invasion of Ukraine. And things happen all the time. And so I think that we shouldn't we shouldn't subscribe to this fatalism that, you know, Christianity is destined to go out of business in the United States. But I do think that it will take uh, probably beyond the span of my lifetime before we would see something like kind of the re-Christianization of the country. I believe there can be tremendous positive change there. But, you know, I'm 54, and the summer of love was before I was born. It took a long time for a lot of these uh, ideas to work themselves out into the culture. And certainly the other direction, it would take at least as long, I think. And so uh, just as Rome took, you know, 300 years to, to kind of Christianize, um, you know, we, we should expect uh, that it would take a long time. But that doesn't mean that uh, there's not like a positive trajectory, that we can leave, you know, our children, our grandchildren – a foundation in the faith which they can build you know a better future 